Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Terry Talks Fiction. This is our first one for 2020, and today I'd like to talk a little bit about productivity. I've been intending to get this podcast up and going again since January, but productivity and the way that I've been setting my goals means that it's taken me a little longer to get that far ahead. One thing that a lot of indie authors out there might be able to empathise with is the feeling that we have to do everything, and often we're trying to fit in doing all that into some very short periods of free time. I'm a lot luckier than most indie authors in that I don't have to work a day job, but on the other hand, full-time care for three children under six is a pretty hectic time filler as it is. What this means in reality is that most of the time I get to spend on my own projects is either at night when the children are sleeping or on the occasional days that someone is able to take the kids from me for a couple of hours at a time, whether that be school, kinder, or Nana coming down to visit. When one's time is at a premium like this, it can sometimes take the smallest thing to throw everything out of whack, such as one of those children not sleeping particularly well at night for a couple of weeks. There's always a way to work more efficiently, of course. I've begun writing a little bit more on my phone as I sit and wait in the room for a certain child to go to sleep, or while I'm sitting in the car waiting for someone else, or even when I'm just sitting in a more private experience in the smallest room of my house. None of that helps with podcasts though, but hopefully now we're on track and looking forward to a great year full of more content with Terry Talks Fiction. To start that year off, I'd very appropriately like to begin with an interview from last year with the fabulous E.J. Dawson. This will be part one of a two-part interview. E.J. and I talked for quite a while, and since your time is precious, I don't want to keep you for too long each episode this year. At the start of our discussion, E.J. and I talked a lot about productivity, how she gets new projects started, how she keeps on them, and how she juggles multiple projects at once. I found it a really illuminating discussion and it was great to hear another author's perspective on making the most of their time and simply sitting down to write. I hope you enjoyed this talk with EJ as much as I did and I'll see you at the end of the episode. Alright everyone, we're here today with EJ Dawson, author of the upcoming novel Behind the Veil. EJ, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, EJ, you and I have known each other from a distance for a bit of a while now via Twitter and uh, the shared Discord writing server that we're on. But would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and uh, say a bit about who you are and what you write? So I predominantly write fantasy and sci-fi. I currently have a paranormal romance sitting with literary wanderlust that's uh, currently going through an editing phase. I'm also looking at uh, self-publishing a series uh, called Queen of Spades, a sci-fi romance. I've 
the start of a series that is actually currently on hold called the Last Prophecy series. And I am going to be releasing a Wattpad series called One with Rage about modern day technology, slightly more advanced and fantasy too, with a romance aspect to it. So not much. No, no, my muse doesn't shut up and she's an absolute curse. It's really cool to hear you are obviously quite prolific, the amount of content that you're able to get through there. How do you find that is? Your muse obviously speaks to you a lot, as you say. Do you just find that once you hear that little voice, you've just got to sit down and just got to get it out and that might account for some of that prolific nature to what you're doing? Or is there a bit more to that? Is there a bit of a difference in your approach that is helping you just get this content out through the fingers and onto the paper? I think it's a couple of different things and it's, it's interesting. It's, I think that a lot of people get good ideas and there's only so far that those ideas take them. And there are certainly ideas that I do cast aside because I write down what they're about and then I say, okay, that's not going to go very far. And I'll give a really good example. I came up with an idea for a very tragic vampire story the other day and it had a really depressing ending and it was a really great story, but it's one of those ones where I just said, to myself I'm not in the correct headspace to write that so I'm going to write down that whole idea and save it for later and then I have all these other stories that I write and I go no I love them and I'm going to spend a lot of time working on them and I really really want to get those out there but in regards to writing and what writing is actually about it's about sitting down actually putting in the work and there's no other way to state that that's what writing is really really about And I've spent years training myself through NaNoWriMo projects, so the National Novel uh, Writing Competition at the end of every year, as well as a few camp nanos to just sit down and write to the point where I started at maybe getting 500 words in the space of an hour to now I can get nearly two and a half thousand words in an hour. And through the last five years of training myself to do that, not on a once a year basis, but on a daily basis, I can now actually get a 80,000 word novel out in the space of 20 days. And part of that is due to my dedication But the other part of it is due to the fact that I live in a rural part of Victoria, Australia. I don't have very many friends who live uh, closely. I work a 10-minute walk from home. So I don't have a lot of extracurricular things that I need to commit to, like looking after a family. And part of me knows that that is a massive advantage and I should take that as firmly as I possibly can, which is what I have been doing. It's really cool to hear you talk about, obviously, that training that things like Nano and Camp NaNoWriMo have done for you. This year, I've been sort of trying to put out a short story every month as well. And even just that practice of sitting down and committing to a deadline has really helped get the, it's not quite right to say get the creative juices flowing, because as you say, it's it's more, I guess, uh, wrapping a chain around the muse and teaching it to come when you when you whistle its name. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of the time is that we feel like the muse is some sort of mystical creature who sits on her futon and drinks wine and has somebody peel grapes from for her. And usually it's you. And she gives you what meager morsels she feels like. And that's not true. And the reason that it's not true is that you can get inspired by lots of different things very, very quickly. You can write down those ideas and get them out and work on them and some of them are really really good and others you kind of go that's a nice premise but it's not a premise that I 
want to spend any particular time on and you can write it down and put it to the side. And I think that's why a lot of writers actually keep notebooks and things like that. And I think that a lot of the time what a writer needs to do once they get beyond the stage of actually finishing some of their first novels is working out which ideas are worth spending the most amount of time on in regards to what that they will eventually get out of it. On that idea, with the novels and that you started with NaNoWriMo Camp, Nano, did any of those get beyond that event for that year and go on to become something that you did publish? That's, that is actually a really, really great question. I'm glad you asked that. So when I first started writing, and I'm going to go onto a more sad topic, but I'm going to move on from it very, very quickly. I started to write more seriously in my 30s because I had a doctor tell me that I would not be able to have children. And that was actually really upsetting for me. I hadn't seen myself as having children but the concept that that would be taken away from me without me being able to say yay or nay to it was really shocking and it made me reevaluate what I was going to do with the rest of my life because at 30 years old you sort of sit there and say well if I can't have a family as a woman what am I supposed to do and so I returned to the one thing that I loved and the one thing that I felt that I was good at and that was writing and I had written other books in the past but I had never dedicated myself to it and I said well I want to write something that I love passionately and I came across a few different random websites that gave you prompts and from that I developed the last prophecy series which was a 21 book series and that series is 10 books and 11 novellas, starting with two novellas and then a book and then a novella and a book and a novella and a book and so on and so forth. And I've actually laid out the entire series. There's a poem for it that explains it all. And one of the things that I started doing when I started writing the series was that I would write the book throughout the year. And then during NaNoWriMo in November, I would take a week off work and I would use that entire week to write the novella for the next part of the series. I currently have the first two novellas of that series and the first book. So The Hidden Monastery, The Last Prophecy uh, are the two novellas and then there's The Well of Youth currently available on Amazon. I have actually written another three books and another seven novellas in that series, but it is currently on hold because even as a self-published author, I believe very firmly in hiring an editor and it's a bit, I'll be perfectly frank, I'm a bit strapped for cash when I'm trying to save for a house, so it go, it's gone on the back burner a little bit. But I would write 50,000 words in the space of a week for this series, and I found that that's taught me incredibly well how to just sit down and write. Do you do a, a lot of self-editing as part of your process as well once you've got those words down? Uh, obviously, I know to me that sounds like a really a very fast, very prolific rate of getting the words down in that first draft. Is that something you then go over a couple of times before sending off for that professional editing? Or are you more of the point of view that if you've got the bones of it down and it's part of the process is for you to get the editor's comments back on what you need to be editing? No. So one of the most common feedback points that I actually get from beta readers is that I'm rushing and I know that I get that because I'm writing in such condensed circumstances so I have taught myself and I have been very lucky in that when I decided to self-publish I was very very firm in the idea that I would need an editor and I didn't just want someone off Fiverr I wanted a really really good editor and I found through a friend of a friend um, a fellow by the name of Scott who has actually taught me a lot about developmental editing to the point where 
when I offer beta reading through my website, I'm uh, very often uh, using the skills he has taught me from his developmental editing of my own work. So I'm quite conscious that, no, these books are not remotely ready. And quite often I have written a book and gone, okay, now that that is done, I don't want to have anything else to do with it. The story is out there. It's not good enough to publish. I'm just going to put that one to the side. There are other stories where I turn around and I absolutely love them. I've recently done another book that I wrote in about 21 days and I did polish it and I polished it four times. So the first polish was a read-through to make sure that I hadn't done too much telling and not showing. The second read-through was to make sure that I had gotten all the character reactions correctly, that I didn't have any plot holes or I didn't have any problems. The third edit was to run through semi-reading aloud to make sure that I didn't have too long or sticky sentences. And then the last tool that I use is actually ProWriting8 and uh, I will not give away any of my scripts until I get over an 85 out of 100 score on ProWriting8 so that by the time anyone reads anything that I have written, I have gone through it uh, at least four times before I'm ready to to hand that over. Having said that, while I don't have a lot of content actually available, I still know what I'm doing when it comes to story writing. So I've been doing this, even though I don't have a lot of content out there, I've been doing this for, for nearly six years now. And this sounds very overconfident, but it's also very reassuring. I actually put that series that I was, the last prophecy series I was writing on hold because I knew that I needed editing and I wasn't going to be able to do my editor the due service of paying him. So I put that on hold and I was very angry about doing that because it was my calling to writing. And uh, when I put it on hold, I just rushed out and wrote something that I just wanted to and it was just this idea I had and it was actually based on the fact that I really like paranormal and I really, really like romance and my um, mother had a wonderful a library of books available to me which did include a lot of more historical romances which is where Behind the Veil came up and I wrote that story in about 25 days and a month later I was getting full requests for it from indie publishers uh, and I actually got several requests and then a month later I got the offer of a publishing contract from a couple of different publishing agencies but I ended up choosing uh, Literary Wonderlust because I just had a connection with the editor and that's where that one is currently sitting so I know that I can write a good novel in 21 days because I've been doing it long enough to know what it is that I'm I need to do to make a good novel. As an indie then, how do you find it is working with Literary Wonderlust uh, as, a, as a publisher? Do they sort of give you some support back in terms of sort of your marketing and your working on the actual novel itself? Or is it more just they're a platform through which you can get your work published and sort of that's it at, at the indie level? No, absolutely. They're a support. They are a support. They're an immense support. And um, I have a real connection with both the publisher, Susan, and uh, the my editor, Sharon, on, on the work and what it is that I'm trying to do. I write a lot of different genres. So I, I know that... A, that there are a lot of writers who only write to one genre, but I like to think that I write a lot of a few different genres. And the genre that I'm writing for them is, uh, you would say to some regard, a paranormal romance, but that doesn't aptly describe Behind the Veil. And I think that the support that they offer me is actually very different from another 
self-publishing platform. So when I started writing and I started getting into NaNoWriMo, one year I won an opportunity to publish with a group called Pronoun. And they were actually a subsidiary of Macmillan. And they allowed uh, self-published authors who'd won NaNoWriMo to publish through their platform. And they made it very, very easy. They made it very, very clear. And they were very, very, very wonderful. And I remember being very, very devastated when they shut. And it was one of those times where I actually nearly gave up writing because I didn't know what I was going to do without their support. And I kept going with my my series uh, through 2018 because I finished publishing with them in 2000 with Pronoun in 2017 at the end of 2017. And in 2018, I kept working on the series. At the end of 2018, I realised I just didn't have the capacity to keep going with it, and I started focusing on other stories, which was very good for me to do because I believe it's made me a better writer. And that was when I discovered Literary Wonderlust. In a lot of regards, while pronoun was not a vanity press they were quite literally a support for uh, self-publishers to get their work out there in regards to formatting and setting everything up and pushing it through one platform as opposed to all the stuff you need to do if you if you try to publish through uh, just Amazon or just Kobo it can be quite difficult and you have a lot of different platforms to do that from which is draft to digital and there's a few others but pronoun allowed you to do it through all of them and they made it really really easy and it was very very convenient whereas publishing through a literary wonderlust allows me to get onto a multitude of platforms that there's an essence of being able to take a step back from the amount of work involved because the actual publishing is handled by someone else that's really cool with your one you've got coming up then behind the veil how are you finding that process of working through that as opposed to the previous ones you did through previous publisher pronoun? I think that when you publish through as a self-publisher, you, you own a lot of it. You own the story, you own, you own the, the quality, you own the content. And in a lot of regards, that makes you responsible for it. And I think a lot of self-publishers don't do themselves the due respect of treating their story how they should, which is that is that it is there as a source of entertainment for other people. And when you do that, you are uh, responsible for making it the best it can possibly be. So you need to make sure that it's properly edited. And I have read numerous stories uh, as a reviewer where self-publisher or even indie authors haven't done that and they've rushed the process. And one of the things that I found absolutely great about Literary Wonderlust is they are not willing to compromise quality. And it is one of the biggest problems in the Indian self-publishing market where uh, due to haste and the need to make money, which defeats for me the whole purpose of being a writer they rush their stories and they don't give them the due credit that they need and I will often find that one of the biggest turnoffs in well two of the biggest turnoffs for me reading is uh, either very poorly edited in regards to grammar and punctuation and basic things like that which is the first trigger of not a, a well edited script on Amazon but the second one is a developmental edit and there's a very very big difference between those two things and I think that the self-publishing audience tend to tell themselves that it's my voice and I can do what I want with it without being able to take on board that their pride is not worth making the story as 
the best it can possibly be and lots of them will choose to will still choose their supposed pride of their voice over potentially changing the story or even just tweaking it to make it better. It's one of the reasons I actually offer that through my website because I'm not just a prolific writer, I'm a prolific reader. And it's usually very small things that you need to change in order to make the story the best that it can possibly be. But when you come to self-published authors, there's quite a few who are not willing to do that because they want it they won't open themselves to the possibility that their story can be changed slightly from their original ideal in order to make it the best it can possibly be. And it's a very interesting but also very difficult subject to voice to the self-published community. That brings us to the end of our episode today. Thanks a great deal to EJ Dawson for coming and talking on the show. And I look forward to sharing the next half of the author interview with you in a future episode. If you liked today's episode, you can find EJ's work at ejdawson.com with links to all of her current and ongoing works. You can also find more content at www.terrytalksfiction.com where I'm regularly posting reviews, short fiction, more podcasts, and there's also a link to my book as well. Thanks for listening today, and if you want to keep up with new episodes as they're posted, you can, of course, always subscribe to the podcast. I look forward to talking with you all again soon. And as a special bonus for you, I'm just having to chastise my cat for bringing a dead mouse onto our rug while I'm recording. Thank you, Kat. Dude, take it outside.